0: Our scripture this morning will be Habakkuk 2 to 6 through 20. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoil for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities, and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame. I'm sorry. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation what he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The sporting world waited in anticipation in late October, or mid October, actually, of 2012, when the uh, news. Uh, of one of their esteemed athletes would would come come rolling out. People wanted justice and they wanted to know that things that uh, had happened would be made right. And so they waited to see if that indeed would happen. They did not know what the outcome would be, Uh, folks. Uh, commentators uh, anticipated what might be done what might happen but no one knew exactly what it would be and what became uh, ended up being uh, perhaps more severe than many people ever thought it would the athlete in question was Lance Armstrong the situation in question was doping Taking performance-enhancing drugs between 1999 and 2005, he won every Tour de France, the pinnacle of of biking. He won every one of those races. He wore the crown. He celebrated the victories. And would he indeed be found to have been doping? He lied vehemently, or he claimed never to have done it. Uh, And he threw people under the bus who were all around him who were doing it. And said, no, not me. And in the meantime, he had been uh, diagnosed with cancer and was fighting cancer. And the yellow bracelets now were everywhere, live strong. And so here you have this, this remarkable athlete who had become, in, in many ways, an idol for people. And now his entire reputation is on the line. And when the organizers of the Tour de France came out with their decision, they said, we have decided to strip Lance Armstrong of all of those victories from 1999 to 2005. Not only have we decided to do that, we have decided for all of those years, when you look at the winner's list, there will not be a name on it for 1999 to 2005. When you hear that news, you, uh, immediately there's something within you that goes, Wow, how could he lie for so many years? How could he tell lie after lie after lie and cover up those lies? a father of five. He's battling cancer. How is it that he could do that? His Twitter bio changed immediately, same day. Because before, it alluded to winning all of those, those seven Tour de France's. It changed immediately that day. The question that, came to, that comes to my mind is, how about all the guys who finished second in those years? Shouldn't they be number one? Until you go to research them, and you'll discover that many of them had doping issues too. And it's difficult to find a clear, clean winner. But somewhere down the line is somebody who got it right, who played by the rules, who did it the right way and didn't win because someone else cheated. And in every single one of us is a desire for justice. It's in you. You want things to be made right, don't you? We all have that. We want things to be fair. Kids say it early in life, that isn't fair. And what do we say as parents? Life isn't fair, right? We will come right back with the, well, life isn't fair. And so here we find Habakkuk in a that isn't fair scenario. You see, he had called out to God in chapter 1 on behalf of his uh, people because God's own people were getting it wrong and the wicked had surrounded the righteous and God had called out, uh, or Habakkuk had called out to God on behalf of them and God said, I'm going to give you an answer that you wouldn't believe if I told you and God raised up the Babylonians out of nowhere who overthrew the Assyrians, Habakkuk then goes to the watchtower, he stays Himself, and from there he can see the panic of his people. He can hear the prancing of the horses as the Chaldean army marches in toward Jerusalem. Habakkuk sees he has all of this vantage point, and he says, I'll wait here and see what the Lord will say to me. And when he does, God speaks. And it is 2.4, Habakkuk 2.4, right before this section, where God comes out with this statement. And he says, I want you to etch it in stone. How important is the statement? Here it is. The righteous shall live by his faith. Etch that in stone. The Jews themselves would later say all of the law, all 613 commandments could be summarized by that statement. Paul, on his great treatise of salvation, would say what? Romans 1.17, the righteous shall live by his faith. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, before he lists that Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame, would say, the righteous shall live by his faith. This statement became the hallmark of, For these writers, the righteous shall live by his faith. History has turned on that declaration. And so God gives that to Habakkuk and Habakkuk waits. When? And then comes this passage. Now, if you read verse six, I love it. Shall not all these take up their taunt? That means these nations that Nebuchadnezzar is devastating uh, against him with riddles, with scoffing and riddles for him. If you read this in the original language, it is riddled with riddles. There's alliteration. There's assonance. There's irony. um, There's drawing on historical things that only the Israelites would know about. Why is that? Well, when the Israelites hear it, they're going to know. And King Nebuchadnezzar will have not Mary an idea of what's going on. This is a riddle. Uh, Betty, our scripture reader in the early service said, Jerry, this is such a hard passage to read. It, it just doesn't flow. I said, Betty, it's a riddle. It, it's, it's, it's not written in a way that is that flows with English. It flows in the original Hebrew. It doesn't flow in English. And certainly that is the case here. So that King Nebuchadnezzar would have no clue what is being said. God pronounces five woes. Five woes against the, this Chaldean army that he's raised up and they've gotten puffed up in their pride. He pronounces five woes against them. And, but the word woe here is not the traditional. It, it literally means ha, like, I'll show you. Ha, your day is coming. And here we discover this simple statement, God will have his way. God will have his way he will have his way with two kinds of people in these next few verses he will have his way with the wicked and God will have his way with the waiting he will have his way with the wicked and God will have his way with the waiting let's jump in we'll see these woes as they are pronounced first woe verse uh, of verse six verse seven uh, it's called the pillager pillaged. The pillager pillaged. Uh, What does he mean by that? Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. The word pledges means debts. Evidently, King Nebuchadnezzar built his vast kingdom uh, by borrowing money from others. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble, then you will be spoiled for them. What's going to happen? Uh, You know, this is how it works. If you borrow money, what do you have to do? You have to pay it back. Isn't that a bummer? I mean, it feels so good to flash the credit card, right? And make the purchase, but not so good to make the payment. That's the reality here. The word debtor here is a riddled word in and of itself. It is the same word used to describe a serpent that bites. Debt is seen like the snake that bites you. You play with the snake, you'll get bitten. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is playing big time with massive amounts of debt. And those debtors are going to rise up and look at him and say, pay us back you owe us woe to you he says will not your debtors suddenly arise and those who awake who will make you tremble then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations all the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth to cities and all who dwell in them the pillager pillaged Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had swept across the known world devastated Cities, not only Jerusalem, but history shows us that 95 other towns in Palestine he completely leveled. And God says, just as you have pillaged, you will be pillaged yourself. How much is God concerned about? It's interesting to note what is said here. The blood of man and violence to the earth. Human creation and non-human creation. Does God care about it all? Yes, he does. He does. How do we know? Go to Romans 8 in the New Testament. And in Romans 8 in the New Testament, scripture says, all of creation groans and longs for the day when it will be made right again. God loves you as humans. He loves this earth as his creation. And he says, King Neb, you pillaged all of it. And you yourself will be pillaged. God will have his way with the wicked. The second woe, the fortified, dismantled. Look at verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. Evil gain. To set his nest on high. To be safe from the reach of harm. Let's look at that image that uh, God provides in this woe. Set his nest on high. Obviously a bird. Birds build nests high in order that snakes won't get to them or other animals won't get to their young or won't eat the eggs that they have laid. If you've come to Grace for any amount of time, you've seen the killdeer in the parking lot. Killdeer are a bird about this long. They have a beautiful ring around their necks and they love our parking lot. You know, we're we're the church with the gravel lot and the metal building. So they're like, we can find a home here. Why? Their eggs are the color of our gravel. And so what they'll do, the bird will just dig out a little spot, lay her eggs right there in that little spot. And you can't see them until you're right up on them. We have had orange cones all over this parking lot since we've been here because killdeer are laying their eggs there. I was leaving a a year or two ago, walking up uh, toward this parking lot where I always parking. I was headed that way and I saw a mama killdeer and she's sitting there, sitting on the eggs. And I look a little ways from her and I see the daddy. And I thought, I wonder what he will do if I go toward her. So I head toward the mama and I see this man, typical male. All right, I'm one, I could pick on us, right? She is sternly taking care of her little eggs, right? Do you know what he does? As soon as I start to approach her, she's squawking loudly. He falls over, flaps his wing like it's broken. Why is he doing that? He's just trying to get my attention. He's distracting, right? That's what we men do. We're just a big old distraction. And so that's what he's doing. He's just like that, just shaking. And then as I walk toward her, she's having none of it. Do you know she doesn't care how big I am? What's she going to do? She's going to come after me. She doesn't care. She's going to come after me. That's the image here. But King Nebuchadnezzar builds his nest on high so that he will make a name for himself and for his children and for his children. Family, Uh, Here's a prayer recorded that he prayed to the God Marduk. Life for many generations and abundant posterity, a secure throne and a long reign grant as thy gift. And God says to him, hey, you think you're making a name for yourself? Not at all. There's a story of this in the book of Joshua. It's quite sobering. So I warn you, it's sobering. The book of Joshua is about conquest. God said, that's your land, go get it. And they went and Joshua led them to conquer the land. And so they're conquering the land. And as they are, God says, no spoil at all. Take nothing that you can take. But there is a man who along with his family decides that they'll take some for themselves. His name is Achan. And so Achan decides to take some stuff. And all of Israel suffers. They lose many casualties in the battle. And Joshua, God speaks to him and says, somebody among you is preserving his own posterity at the cost of the nation. And here's what happened. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, the cloak, the bar of gold. And his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep in his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel, look at this, stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. The Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. And you sit here and you go, that is extreme. Is that the God I sang to this morning? Yes. Why? Why? Well, a couple of things of reading between the lines to bury that in his tent, most likely wife and kids were in on it. They knew they build their own little kingdom in the middle of God establishing his. And God said he would have none of that. But there's also the principle, and I want you to hear me and hear me well. If you are a mom or dad in this room, the spiritual climate of your children will seldom rise above yours. Seldom. I have two children. As my son is growing and he and I are talking about the things of the Lord more and more in his teenage years, I love how much of the word he knows. He has come through our children's ministry here. And you may not know this, but if your children sit here in children's Bible fellowship, and if they start in kindergarten and they go all the way to fifth grade, by the time they finish fifth grade, they will have studied the Bible twice in its entirety. And I love how much scripture my son knows. I love that. But when it's all said and done, Alan Michael will not answer. Adrian will not answer. I will stand before God and answer. How did I lead my kids? I will. Th- that's, that's my call. And I'm going to say to you, I've pastored this uh, this people for more than 15 years. There is nothing more sobering to me than being a dad. Nothing. Nothing at all. It is a high and holy call to lead our children to know and love the Lord. And Achan led his entire family away. And they paid the price for it. See this in the extreme example. I taught school for one year. We've got a room full of school teachers. I admire you. I lasted a year. Crazy hard job. I remember that one year, though. I was a Spanish teacher. I taught 12 classes a day, 20 minutes a, a period, just walking into elementary school, first, third, and fifth grade. First grade teacher, she was brilliant. Oakley Elementary, rough kids. And I remember her uh, pulling me aside day one, and she said, now listen, don't remember the kid's name, but she said, this kid, he, he can't help what he does. He gets on a city bus rides a city bus to a school bus stop, gets off that school bus, and here at Oakley, um, his mom did all kinds of drugs when he was in the womb, and she said, when he'll be great for a while, but then all of a sudden he'll start to moan and groan. It's the drugs, she said. When he does, just walk by him, put your hand on his shoulder, calm him, and when you do, you'll be fine. Broke my heart. What little first grader deserves that life? Right? There isn't one. There isn't a kid who deserves that. And I remember teaching on more than one day and I'd walk by that little kid and, and he'd be completely engaged. And all of a sudden it hit just out of the blue. And he began to moan and he'd groan. And when he would, I'd walk by, I'd just put my hand on his shoulder, grip it a little. And when I did, I could feel his body go. And he was back with us. We want justice for that kid, do we not? Somewhere somebody ought to pay. That's what God is saying to King Neb. King Neb, you're building a kingdom, but look what—look exactly at what you're doing. Look what you're doing with this kingdom you think you're building. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. Uh, I'm going to bring your kingdom to an end, King Nebuchadnezzar. I will bring you down, God says. God will have his way with the wicked. The fortified will be dismantled. How significant will that be? The stone will cry out from the wall of your palace. Don't forget that King Nebuchadnezzar built one of the uh, uh, seven uh, wonders of the ancient world. This was a remarkable builder. But when God has his way, the walls are like, finally... And the wood beams are like, yes, I've seen too much injustice within these walls. King Neb comes down. God will have his way with the wicked, the civilized. Third woe, the civilized, demoralized. Look at this. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Folks, it's hard to watch the news. It seems like every week, terrorism strikes. Could I say something to you this morning? ISIS will have their day. God will have his way with every terrorist who insists on going on in theirs. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Cities haven't been man's strongest point through the years. You see, cities are the climax of civilization. Civilization starts rural, rural, but then uh, developing countries boast of their cities. Let me give you a, a quick history of cities in scripture. Do you remember Cain? Angry, jealous, killed his brother. Do you know what the next thing he did? He built a city and dedicated it to his son, Genesis 4. Nimrod followed him in Genesis 10. He built his own city to his own glory. Do you know how he built it? Slave labor. He enslaved people to build himself up. Go forward to Genesis 19. You got Abraham choosing to go one place, Lot choosing to go another. Twin cities called what? Sodom and Gomorrah. And God brought them to their end because of the obscenity of sin in those cities. Cities have not fared well. The Tower of Babel. Oh, look what we can do. Look what we can build. Genesis 11. Go to Exodus 1, and you have a Pharaoh who wants to build a massive city. And what is he going to do? Enslave the Israelites to build his cities. We are a culture. That prides ourselves on our cities. If you go outside the United States and you ask people, tell me what you think about when you think about the United States, what city are they going to say? New York City. They're going to refer to the city. God says to you, the civilized will be demoralized. Now, how? Look at this. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts? No no, ex- n- no uh, um, mistake that the Lord of hosts is used here. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord who fights for you, that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. Verse 14, all of a sudden, in the middle of these desperate, awful woes is a ray of hope. It is so unexpected for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Habakkuk, what in the world are you seeing? How in the world do you see in the middle of these cities, this ray of hope? What you may not realize, because I know some of you are so new in your faith, and I'm so glad you're here. This is why we want you to be here, why we labor to preach the word to you, labor to teach the word to you, labor to get you in a group. What you may not realize is that there is an ultimate city builder. His name is God. And if you go to the end of the book, God is building a city. The city is called the New Jerusalem. And one day, the New Jerusalem, that new city, will Descend sin from heaven, the book of Revelation says, God in his ultimate, creative, climactic moment is going to build a city. It's not just any city, in case you're wondering. It is as high as it is wide as it is deep. If that city were to land right here, if we were to be the eastern border of the city, the city would reach all the way to Dallas, Texas. It would be as tall as that and all the way up to, uh, to Canada That's how big this city is. It's called the New Jerusalem. It's a perfect cube. Why is it a perfect cube? Only occurs one other place in all of Scripture. The Holy of Holies is a perfect cube. This city will be holy to the Lord. The gates will be open on all sides. No one will fear that there will be war, that there will be famine thieves that there will be sin there will be no night in this city Jesus Christ is the light of this city Habakkuk in the middle of this woes against Nebuchadnezzar gets this awesome vision that God is going to build a city amen church we sit here as God's people and we look forward. We look forward to a time better than this when you watch the news and your heart sinks again. Know that there is a God who sits in heaven, who sees it all, and who is building himself a city for you and for me. Wow, I could preach right now. I could. This is amazing stuff that Habakkuk is able to see in the middle of the demise. And I know that some of you have come in here today and your hands are low and your hearts are burdened and your lives are falling apart. But there is a God who is building a city who waits for you to become a resident of that city. Amen and praise the Lord. Wow. This is what Habakkuk sees. The civilized will be demoralized. But there will be a day when that little first grader will no longer moan and groan for no fault of his own. Amen. I so long for that, do you not? I so long for that. God will have his way with the wicked. He continues. Number four, the shameless. Defamed. Look at this. Verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Let me speak to this for a moment. This is somebody who gets somebody else drunk in order to take sexual advantage of them. That's what this is. I I want to speak clearly on a couple of things. All through history, there is a direct connection between the abuse of alcohol and sexual license. If you are in here this morning, I don't believe scripture teaches it is a sin to drink. But for some of you, it is. And you should never, ever touch it. If you can look back anywhere in your own life or in your family's life and see a history of alcohol abuse, run. Run from it. Don't go near. I remember receiving a phone call years ago. I um, worked at Wofford where I went to undergrad for a year. I mentored a young man, bright kid, great future. He was president of student body. I was my senior year. He was uh, his senior year. And so I was back there. Part of my job was to help him do his. He called me that summer. He was working on a peanut farm on the Eastern part of the state. His tractor overturned onto him. He was in the hospital recovering from that tractor accident. But interestingly enough, that's not why he called. He called because he had been at a party the week uh, or two or three before this happened. See, this kid was from quite a wealthy family, and uh, he was a good-looking young man. And this is usually the reverse, I think. But this girl had decided that she would get him drunk. And she called him as he lay on that hospital bed bed recovering from his tractor accident to tell him that she was pregnant. And he called me in tears. What do I do? This is what King Nebuchadnezzar And his men would do. They would find women, get them drunk, gaze on their nakedness, or because of what follows, some say could have been homosexual acts. How serious is God about this? Look at this. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. This is graphic. Why? All the Hebrew men would have been. Circumcised, all the Gentiles, non-Hebrews, uncircumcised. God says, you're going to be naked like you've made everyone else naked. That will come back to you. The shameless defamed. And then there's a ray of hope. Look at it. I don't think you have to look hard, but you might think you have to look hard. You may want to underline this. It says drink, right? Cup. It's awful. It's alcohol. It's drunkenness. But look at this the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. Is God getting him drunk? No. What is the cup? In the Lord's right hand, any cup in God's hand in scripture refers to his wrath. The cup in the Lord's right hand is the cup of God's wrath, pouring it out on Nebuchadnezzar. Do you think you and I could handle that? No, but let me introduce you to a woman who thought her boys were good enough too. We'll see her story on the screen. Matthew chapter 20. She was an overzealous soccer mom or something. All right. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking Are you able to drink the what, church? What is it? The cup that I'm to drink. And they said to him, we are able. What what was this cup? She just wants her boys to be in, you know, number two and number three. Jesus is number one. He's healing people. He's performing miracles. She sees an earthly kingdom. She's just trying to get her boys, you know, on the ballot. They're going to be part of this earthly kingdom. But go six chapters later and we'll see the cup come up again. Again, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. For the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it. What? What is he drinking, church? The cup of what? The wrath of God. Look at this. Your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping. Yeah, they could hang, couldn't they? They're sleeping while he's wrestling with the cup. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. And Jesus on the cross would take this cup that was in the Lord's right hand. And you know what's in that cup? Wrath. Not only for the sins of the Chaldeans, but for the sins of Habakkuk, and for the sins of you, and for the sins of me. That is the cup that the Lord took and said, here, Jesus, drink this cup of wrath. Jesus, drank the cup of wrath. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The shame the, 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 the shame that we should have had came on him. The shameless one, Jesus, was ultimately defamed. And we see the fifth woe, God will have his way. The idolatrous will be powerless. Look at this. What prophet, verse 18, is an idol when its maker is shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing awake, to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath in it at all. Uh, Does it make any sense for us to worship that that we can create? No. Like, we look at that. We go eat Chinese and enjoy the food and laugh at the Buddha. We're like, why Why in the world they worship this big fat dude? You know, like, what's up with that? But then the very next day, we get up and worship our careers. We say, look what we've done. Look what we've built. Look at our kingdom. And if they go well, we do well. And if they don't, we don't. And we worship what we have created or we work out and we get the perfect body, right? I mean, we're just, we're just toned where we should be toned and, 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 and the love handles no longer exist. If she's going to love you, she'll have to grab the biceps, right? <laughs> I mean she's just going to have to grab that hunk of burning love and it's all and and you just look at yourself in the mirror and begin to worship this body that you created in the gym and that that body can't can't serve you it will ultimately get old God will have his way with the wicked, but also God will have his way with the waiting. Just one verse, but oh, it's so good. Look at verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. But the little conjunction in contrast to the dumb and mute idol, right? The idol that can't talk. God who can talk and and who can feel and who can hear. And and God in Christ we know now who has skin and... um, who took on flesh and the word became a man and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Paul in Colossians is going to say that Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. Uh, This God talks. This God feels. This God cares. And this God is bigger than the mess you're in. This God is bigger than the problems you face. As Amy beautifully sung, not for a moment will this god forsake you if you're his that's who he is so what do we do we we keep silent do you do you know what that means we wait we wait oh I, I, there are, there are injustices you'd like to see solved there are problems that you would like to see a solution to let me give you from the psalms just jot down these references these waiting psalms Wait for the Lord when the enemy is advancing." Psalm 27: 13 and 14. "I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord when we need help." Psalm 33:20, "Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Wait for the Lord when you need help. Wait for the Lord when you're struggling with sin. Anybody in the room ever struggle with sin? Oh, yeah. And if you didn't raise your hands, you just did. So, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of a fool. Wait for the Lord when you're struggling with sin. Wait for the Lord when you need mercy. Psalm 130, 1 through 7. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Uh, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? God, if you marked me for my sin, I would fall. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope my soul waits for the Lord. More than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And finally, wait, I love this, for the Lord to come back. Wait for the Lord to come back all the way over to James. Riding to that embattled group of believers scattered throughout. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be impatient about it until he, it receives the early and the late rains. Wait for the Lord to come back. Our team is going to come Many of you know this story the man 's name was Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford uh, was a wealthy businessman lived in Chicago. He had a, a wife and children and uh, the Chicago fires swept through and When they did, he decided that they would, uh, after handling some business, they would vacation in uh, in uh, England. so he put his wife in four daughters on a boat and sent them across the ocean. As he did, uh, he, he had to stay behind uh, because of some unexpected business that came up. And as they were going across the ocean, he would later learn when his wife made it to England that a British ship rammed this American ship and when it did the American ship sank and Anne Horatio's wife was found unconscious their four daughters died he learned of that with this uh, telegraph that's from his wife look down here If you can read it, saved alone, she wrote back, what shall I do? Spafford would get on a boat to go meet his wife in England. And he said to the captain of the boat, when we get to the spot where my girls died, would you tell me? And they got to the spot. And he took out pen and paper and began to write, Would you stand with me? These are the words he wrote.